from the heart of Brooklyn. Podcast is an hour-long podcast about everything in and relating to technology with four techno experts: Eric Newman, hi; Chris Grabowski, hey, how's it going? Tyler Dinner, hey there; and Joe Cox, hi. This week's episode: Newsday 3.6. Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another public request. My name is Eric Newman, and to the left of me is nobody because we do this show in our apartments alone. But actually, west of me, let's call that left, is Chris Grabowski. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. That's not what you said to me on Bitbucket earlier. No, I was pointing out you had some issues in your best group. You know, you've got issues, all right? But we'll save that for later. Uh, To the left of you, of course, a few blocks further west is Tyler Dinner. Hi, Tyler. Hey guys, how's it going, Eric? Ah, we're doing quite well. Christian's doing well. And to the left of you, the west of you, many more blocks away, let's, instead of blocks, hundreds of miles further west in the city of Pittsburgh, beautiful Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Joel Cox! Hey, how's it going? Good. Good. Uh, and, and Joel, why don't you give a, a quick intro as to who you are, what you do, and you also do a podcast? I do, Streaming Conscious Podcast. Where can we find stream of con- is it stream of conscious or stream of consciousness? Consciousness. Stream of consciousness podcast, and where can we find that? YouTube, Facebook, uh, iTunes, website, iTunes, Player FM, and Google Play. Great. Stream of consciousness podcast, fantastic. And uh, and what do, what do you do in the city of Pittsburgh, Joel? I'm a database engineer for Wesco. Oh, okay. And Wesco are... Who are they? They are a distributor company. Kind of like a B2B version of Amazon, kind of. Okay. Gotcha. Well, welcome. We're all very happy to have you here joining us. Uh, let's see. Where do we start? Well, Christian... You know, I, I we, we always start these shows late. I was almost... I was going to be on time. Okay? Mm-hmm. I want you to understand this. From the bottom of my heart, I was getting it together. It was going to be on time. And then I thought, hey... We have this little bit of work to do after the podcast. Why don't I just, if I could t- just tie it in a nice little bow right now, send it up and have you review it. We'd be able to have a really nice night, relaxing night after the show's over. And that didn't happen, did it? No, you had a uh, c- uh, couple issues from your code. I just, and, you didn't and, and the code, code. We, let's, uh, let's refresh the audience because we have talked about this previously. And it's about, uh, we have a freelance client that we're migrating to a new hosting uh, solution. And they're currently on a hosting solution that is set up like it's still 2004. They're paying enough money to their hosting company that they could basically rent a studio apartment every month. Uh, So we're designing a better solution, a more robust solution, a more modern solution for them. And it is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And Eric messed up the linear Git history. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, he did. And then I'm messing up the linear Git history, even though nobody really cares because... It's actually really important if you want to undo a change. You we can were undo fighting a about that two years ago. We did. Okay, well, here's yeah. the thing, Ty. Well, hold on. <laughs> hold on. This actually, we were exactly right back. It was October of 2015, <laughs> and now it's October of 2017. No, Nothing it, has it, changed it, because it, I discovered... It, it couldn't have been t- in October. We both left that place by October. Oh, that's, what, that's why October. I quit in, in September. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> oh, man. That's right, and that sound that you heard as I potted up their microphone from the studio around the corner is our beautiful audience. Hello, everybody! Yes, hi. Sorry we're late this evening, but we keep you guys in a Tupperware container every during the week, and we take them out on Sundays just for us. But I'm a, I took them out yesterday just to show them around. 
my apartment. They Absolutely, to... that's what I'm talking about, guy. He's my favorite. Ah, yeah. Uh, he actually, uh, because it's a speaking role, he actually demanded scale, and I had to fire him. Ah. Yeah, Ooh. I'm sorry. He was going to go union. You're yeah. going to have to serve him meals. Yeah. That's a speaking anyway, role, too. Uh, Those so girls are going to take that, that is... money and go do porn voiceover. <laughs> Tyler, I still have a little uh, problem hearing you. Could you get a little closer to the microphone, please? I'll try, buddy. Wonderful. Anyway, uh, Tyler, the thing is, is I was, I was transported back two years to our room that day uh, with this Git rebase hell because... It, it's, because you don't know how to rebase. Okay, Christian, it's two commands. <laughs> it's fetch and rebase. It it's not that hard. But what happens is this. You can figure it correctly. What, no, what There's happens is this, that rebasing dash dash goes rebase. through the entire commit history of your master branch. So if your master branch has a million commits, <clears throat> and, and then every you have to go through all one million commits every time there was that a merge conflict in the past, no, you have to do it again. You used it, wrong. you used it wrong. Yes, Eric, you're way off here. Okay. Then, what a rebase does. It's, easy to, it's super easy to use it wrong, but yes, you did. Yes, it absolutely is. All right, but, enlighten me then. So what a rebase actually is, is it finds the last common point of the two branches and then takes everything from master that's new and just places it on top and then places all your changes on top of that. So, But my point is that if you – Git can automatically merge stuff pretty well. And you, no, it can't. It's the same thing as for a rebase, except it. No, it history. doesn't, Christian, because these are merge conflicts that I literally didn't have before. When you yes. do the pull and merge, when it's right. just the because only the thing that that ruins. Because the, the only, merge was wrong. But the only so thing it that that no, the merge these were it was fine. The code that it created right. was fine. No. The only thing no, that it was, it, the code was incorrect. The, you, it wouldn't give you these merge issues because the merge was wrong. You shouldn't have done a merge there. You should have done a rebase. You weren't getting the history that you needed because you were merging. It's it's, but that, it doesn't matter about the history because we're not peeling back single commits. You didn't get the result that you needed because you kept on merging. That file you had on your branch was wrong. Yeah. If you do it in the wrong way, it goes the wrong way, and then everything breaks. It well, shouldn't. the problem is, is that doing it the right way makes you lose hours of your day into it fixing merges. No, it doesn't. No, it no, doesn't. You You'll get two or three this, merges at most happens if you do is it this, right. And I've shown you my computer before. And I, back Let's in our stop room fighting that about this on the air. Yeah, no, it's Eric. You don't know how to rebase. I can okay. sit with you some uh, off the air sometime and show you how to rebase. Uh huh. When that's happened, you go, "Oh, this should never happen." I show you my computer, and you go, "Oh, wait, that happened. I don't know why." And because then, you're and then in you a just bad walk state away. To so with. then I end up just pulling and merging, you and it abuse works. Git. You're a Git abuser. We know this. Abuser. I've worked yeah, with you <laughs> enough to know. You just uh, just piss all over Git. Okay. No, I don't. Oh my god. Anyway. If you're just joining us, it's easy to fuck up Git, no matter wow. where so you take are. Take it easy with the F-bombs right out of the gate, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> I mean... Uh, no more clean tag this week. Okay. Uh, one other thing, right off the top of the show, Google Maps uh, is cutting calories. Literally, they added a feature to Google Maps uh, that will track how many calories that you burn or how many calories they think you burn uh, while you're going on whatever exercise, traveling whatever distance you've typed in. Uh, but then it caused some kind of backlash, so people, uh, so Google removed it. I mean, that would have counteracted every time they tell me that there's a barbecue place in the area because Google Maps spends a lot of time telling me there's barbecue places near Now, me. see, what you should be able to do on that, that's a good idea, is if you type in what you want at the barbecue place, then it should be able to tell you the way to get there so you burn off all the calories before you arrive. <laughs> You're like, you've burned off enough for a quarter-pound brisket barbecue sandwich. Great, thank you, okay. 
Um, let's see. What else? Uh, oh, yeah. So because of the backlash, and that is uh, probably fat phobia that uh, Google pulled it, unfortunately. Anyway, uh, if you wanted to track your calories, you can still go to gmaps-pedometer.com. But that's uh, another story. Uh, one other thing to mention, I got iOS 11 on my laptop, and it's horrible. Wait, why do you have iOS on your laptop? Oh, did I say... I said my... i sorry. Not my laptop. My iPad. Excuse me. How old is your la- uh, your iPad? Uh, three weeks. Oh, huh. That's weird. Yeah, that's a total... Where is the, the thing? I don't have... There it is. This iPad was made for iOS 11. Or maybe not. Maybe that's what it is. The, the iPads that came out that if I bought the same iPad this week, rather than three weeks a month ago, uh, that it would be fine. But... <laughs> What happened was, talk about planned obsolescence, what happened was I upgraded, and the problem is, people say you shouldn't upgrade to the newest versions of major releases of operating systems, 11.0.0, don't do it. But, the problem is, is that Apple is so aggressive about updating that it, it, it's almost impossible to not update. It just keeps asking you. Whenever, whenever you say later, it pops up another screen that says, when later would you like to install the update? I don't know. Just not now. But when? <laughs> I don't know. Just go away. I've got work to do. But we need to update. Microsoft does it the other way. They just shut down your computer no matter what you're doing. So Screw your work. You know, there's Which, this awesome operating system called Linux where you can actually just uh, type a command to update. And that's really the only time updates will ever run. And then your system can get hopelessly out of date. It is not a consumer-ready operating system. It's meant Imagine for a place. No, but this particular uh, situation, I think, is actually they got it down correctly because you just have to say, it will run a uh, on boot, check, hey, you have these updates ready. Do you want to update them? And that's it. But yeah, oh. well, that's... Uh, other than that, though, uh, you just have to decide when to update. The big non-consumer issue is the fact that uh, desktop environments, while they work awesome on actual desktop PCs, my laptop will flicker every time I have, like, Hangouts open or something. Really? That sounds like a yeah. video card driver issue. It is, because uh, my laptop happens to have a proprietary video card, so... Ah. Aren't yeah. all video cards proprietary? No, there is open source hardware, but... Yeah. No, but I mean, like, your NVIDIA video card that's proprietary? Yes, but I don't have an NVIDIA. I have AMD. Because okay. AMD does work better on Linux. Well, the point is, is that any off-the-shelf video card is proprietary, Christian. It's Aside from open hardware... Aside from open hardware. Do they sell that at Micro Center? Uh, they do, actually. Oh, good to know. Moving on, it's our New York Minute. I have to get some theme music for that. What, do you, what type of theme music do you think I should get? Just taxi noise. Like, no, no, you know, just like horns and like, uh, uh, like uh, well, basically like just traffic noise. Oh, okay. I do have that somewhere. I'll have to get some uh, people yelling cursing in different accents and languages or just hey Uh, i'm walking here on loop yeah exactly uh well uh one thing that i got we have a mayoral election people are always focused on politics and so are we here at pull request but we don't really talk about it uh on november 7th there is a mayoral election to uh get bill de blasio the current mayor out get him out nobody likes him unfortunately he's going to win that's the new york minute also the l train is shutting down next year Oh, and I and on, you guys are really lively this week. Uh, the L train shutting down next year, and they already have the sign up for it. I saw it on Fourteenth and First. Huh. They've got the scat. They're not the 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 green, whatever it is. You know, when they dig up a part of the road to get underground, they have that mm-hmm. like setups. It's not scaffolding, but it's like construction work. But it says begins 
uh, fall of 2018. I don't know why they have to have the sign up now. Huh. Just so everyone can stop bothering me with misinformation. Yeah, oh, you exactly. left the L train? Oh, like, it's shutting down. You're going to die. Dude, did you read the bottom of the article where it said the day it's shutting down? Yeah, Tyler and I were, talk, we're talking about this yesterday when we were taking the L train. And it was like, wait, when are they going to shut this down? I keep on hearing. It's like, a year away, at least. I just keep on yeah. hearing a later point in time. Oh. Then no, it's, it's actually April. At first it was January 2019. Now it's April 2019. But they have the scaffolding up now so they can say, hey, we're working on it, whatever that means. Ah, uh, New York City construction. Always well, here's what's going to happen. Short. They're working. On, they're actually working on the M train right now. And once they, as uh-huh. soon as they finish that, they're going to just shut off the L, and then we're all just going to have to get on the M. Cool beans. Yes. Anyway, uh, Joel, I'm sorry. They don't have subways in the city of Pittsburgh. Uh, they have a fake subway. Yeah, we do. It's called the T. Uh, is that fake subway still working? To my knowledge, it worked last year. Okay. And the one thing, uh, I don't know if they've changed this. The one thing that I always found weird about the Pittsburgh fake subway is that you pay when you get off. Um, well, the T you pay when you get on, I thought, because that's what I did last time I rode it. Gotcha. I don't know. I remember riding, I just took it, like, through the three stops it goes downtown, and I didn't pay anything. And I was like, you could just walk onto the, just walk onto the train, and then I get off, and they're like, oh, you have to pay us in cash. Oh, oh that's they, the... they have the cards now. You have to go to the kiosk and run your card. You get a new, uh, you either keep your card or get an, uh, or use the old one, and then you swipe it to get on and swipe it to get off. So ah. they've changed it since then. Gotcha. Well, that sounds like uh, the way the DC has it. Um, anyway, very good. Well, because it's Sunday night, that means it's time for our GitHub issues of the week. Our first GitHub issue of the week I stole from Christian, and it's from Microsoft. VS Code icon is ugly. This is stupid. Take it away, Eric. Thanks, Eric. Well, uh, I just wanted to tell you that uh, Microsoft, in their infinite design ability, have created yet another ugly icon for the Visual Studio Code program. Well, thanks a lot. That's all that I've got. Okay. (laughs) Seriously, though, who cares? I don't know. I just saw this on Hacker News, and I can't believe that they actually made a GitHub issue out of it. And, uh, I mean, it's an open source project, so it makes sense. Uh, it's, oh, it's already a duplicate of another GitHub issue. Take You know what else is ugly about Visual Studio? Visual Studio. Yeah. Well, that's VS Code. That's their Sublime clone. Ugh. Yeah. You know, Microsoft Uh, doesn't know how to work with text, even though they have a text based operating system, DOS. I, I don't know why. It's not a text-based operating system. It's a text-based interface to the operating system. Semantics, Christian. Your mom's a text-based operating system. How did they write system? the operating system? Did they use text? That, that doesn't mean uh, based on... Anyway, code, it's the uh, ugliest icon I've ever seen. VS Code is the only application on my Mac that I've changed the icon. They're using VS Code on Mac. Why not just use Sublime? Oh, it actually uses a similar orange to Sublime text. Hmm. Interesting. Joel, what is your favorite text editor? Um, I used uh, TextEdit. Oh, okay. Very good. All right, we're moving on to a real GitHub issue of the week. Our next GitHub, our next GitHub issue of the week comes to us from Moby. Docker daemon process was unexpectedly dead. Take it away, Christian. <laughs> Okay, uh, so uh, this uh, guy, uh, he's running his Docker daemon on a uh, Linux machine. Uh, it quit unexpectedly. Uh, it seems like it, it is a hardware issue. It seems like there's an actual issue in the residential memory allocation. 
so sub virtual memory and this just seems like it's on like maybe a small vm and yeah either it's got like a lot of containers on it or this is something where you can have it i do see it in his logs he's running the doc container registry on this machine so if it is like a small vm he's probably running out of memory so that's probably the issue here but gotcha. uh, it's still worthwhile to actually do like a, a like a heap profile to figure out what's actually going on in the process and why it's uh, basically getting ohmed. So you think it's out of memory? Uh, not an explicit kernel ohm, but it is hitting like some weird memory thing where all of a sudden residential memory is like, hey, I don't know what to do with this block of memory. Uh, this process is responsible, though, so it's in a weird state. Uh, best thing to do is just kill it. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um. All right. Anything else to add with that one? Uh, just that I'd really like Docker to uh, see Docker switch back to individual pieces instead of this one monolithic thing. Pieces of like they they combined compose swarm regular Docker into one thing, and now they also have Kubernetes built into the Docker binary. Hmm. And that might also be what's contributing to this because it's like, hey, you've got all these things in a single binary. <laughs> Are we going to see some Netscape syndrome? No, that was different. At least they were able to do separate binaries to treat them as plugins. Oh, and this is just one binary? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Monoliths are bad. We know this. Why are they doing well, this? So they can, what they can do is they can start it up as separate processes, but it's all just one code path. But I mean, even if it were still, you know, like a framework with plugins that would still work for them, for that usage, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, they've got work to do. Our next GitHub issue of the week comes to us from RabbitMQ. Uh, you skipped one. Did I? Yes. I, you know, I... Harbor. I had it... Oh, you know what? I had it up already, and then I just moved to the next tab. Excuse me. Hey, hey, that's personal talk. Aha! <laughs> Our next GitHub issue of the week comes to us from VMware, a program called Harbor. What does Harbor do? Harbor is a uh, container repository that uh, it does support Docker containers, but really any container. Is it their competitor to Docker? Uh, it's not really a competitor so much as an open source software that they were using before Docker open source their repository. Gotcha. Limit activities and resource consumption. So right now, Harbor can grow indefinitely. You can just be like, hey, I just want to store all these things and let Harbor take up all the memory. Easy, easiest solution is put in a container, add C groups to limit the uh, uh, resources. But you can also have the code actually do things where you have like some concept of a pool that's like uh, just has a counter basically of how much uh, resources have been allotted. So it'd be cool to see that solution. Cool. Um, anything else to add? Not particular. I am curious to see what their actual fix will be. Okay. And it doesn't look like there's really any traction on this. Uh, it's pretty new. Gotcha. Oh, yeah, 12 hours. Yep. Very good. Okay, well, then it's time for our last GitHub issue of the week. Our last GitHub issue of the week comes to us from RabbitMQ. I read it correctly this time, Christian. <laughs> uh, it is uh, LazyQ uses a lot of RAM on initialization. Yep. So <clears throat> this is RabbitMQ, it's a popular message queue. You can do things like PubSub, just intro message delivery. You can do things like fan out to several uh, processes. You can consistently hash across processes. It's pretty useful. And it all uses this thing called MQP, which half of it's basically like TCP on top of TCP. And the other half is like HTTP, but uh, on an open connection. So it's pretty cool. Gotcha. And uh, 
When is it, when it says Node startup, does it mean a node in RabbitMQ or does it mean Node yeah. like Node.js? Node isn't RabbitMQ node, as in the server. And so gotcha. uh, RabbitMQ comes up. Uh, these lazy queues, which are basically queues that have been written to disk that are then lazy loaded, as in they're memory mapped into memory. Okay. Uh, they end up uh, taking up a lot of memory, which is just inherently part of the design because of the way uh, memory mapped files work. But uh, for this particular case, uh, anything where you have a, uh, durable data that needs to be written to disk will be in this memory mapped queue. Or And then when you send messages off of it, it has to load that, that part of the queue into memory. So you're loading a lot of memory in there, and that's just inherently part of the design, unless you just make sure that these queues stay uh, small. But it looks like it's storing messages on the disk and in memory. It says memory grows up around 20 gigs right. and messages are stored. It's, a, it's in an MMAP file. So MMAP is kind of like where you kind of merge page cache to a buffer in your application. So this way you have a file that's on disk and you can have n bytes of that file loaded into memory. Go on. Well, that's how it's on disk and in memory. Oh, and in yeah, but I mean, we, if you have 20 gigabytes of messages, why would you want that in memory? You wouldn't. need to send those messages somehow, and it's actually faster to memory map them than it is to just do, like, a read. Right, but you don't want one pro- process, really, one program, owning 20 gigs of memory. It's a lot. Right. Of RAM. Then you, well, then you have to weigh the things of, like, is it faster to uh, share a queue and, like, uh, deal with all the locking on the file? Or is it faster to just have a single process load a bunch of it into memory and send it through? Gotcha. Which is better? Is that a use case? The memory map file. It's how databases work as well. Yeah, but I mean, and then they just have 20 gigabytes of, of that in memory? I guess that's... Well, not necessarily. It's proportional to how much data is on the actual file. Okay. So if you have a really large file... So with 20 gigs of memory, how much file, how much, how much space on the file? Generally, you can also configure how much is in memory of the file. But however much is it in memory of that file is the part that's in memory, so then that's how much you can easily... That's the that's the amount of the queue, in Rabbit's case, the amount of the queue that can be uh, uh, just uh, read and uh, sent uh, as a message. Gotcha. Gotcha. So if you really want to fix this... The best case is actually uh, speed up your consumer. Can you actually do that within the walled garden of RabbitMQ? Or I guess what's consuming the messages that it puts out. Yes, that is the thing that you need to speed up, is the process that's consuming the messages. Gotcha. Uh, I I have a similar problem at work currently, actually. (laughs) Oh, yeah? Yeah. What's that? Uh, It's Actually, the hardest part is more of a math issue on the other end. But it's, it is the way we collect uh, a lot of uh, intro, uh, relies on a particular uh, message queuing system, and uh, our current version of a service is too slow, and the new version of the service is very fast, but we also have to redo this whole uh, mathematical side that, of the part that writes it to its destination. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, uh, after our GitHub issues, it's always time for Tyler's Plus One. That's right. Our pull request plus ones are where we send out well wishes and acknowledgments of awesomeness to people and other organizations. Who's our first plus one this week, Tyler? I love hearing you read that. The first one goes out to Alphabet. Alphabet. Also known as Google after they rebranded. Uh, Google well, it's a gets. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Uh, 
<laughs> so uh, Google gets the uh, the plus one this week because they led a one billion dollar round of funding for Lyft. Well, we uh, all know Google employs Doctor Evil now. <laughs> one billion dollars. So that's awesome because now uh, with that big thing in Lyft's bucket, uh, we know that they're going to be competitive with Uber. So Uber won't just run the market and then, uh, you know, cause Uber to surge all the time forever. Prices will stay competitive. We like that. So I wonder if this means that Lyft is going to get self-driving cars from Google since Uber has their own self-driving cars. I think that's possibly what it might mean. And they got that connection for $1 billion. <laughs> All right, uh, number two goes out to Tesla. Speaking Tesla. of self-driving cars, uh, and speaking of more self-driving cars on the road, and uh, Tesla gets plus one because they put a manufacturing factory in Shanghai, China. We know what that means. Cheaper batteries. Cheap Teslas. Yeah. Cheap Teslas, yes. They're making cars in China. They're coming fast. Awesome. Yeah, but would you want a cheap Tesla without all of the safety stuff that makes it expensive? They're going to have all the same safety stuff. It's just technology. They got technology. They can send software to yeah, China. Yeah, they still have to meet the same standards as any other automated uh, organization. Yeah, that's true. I guess they'll just copy the plan. I'm sorry. You're yeah, right again. Then, Go on. You know, they'll just get to lie about it in varying degrees depending on how much China's government lets them lie about it. Because, you know, European countries were pretty loose about it. Well, they can be just Volkswagen, which now now there's that great <laughs> JavaScript library called Volkswagen that makes all your tests pass always. <laughs> I mean... Oh, and all the Chinese. I mean, who's uh, to blame there? We can. Who knows? And all the Chinese highway safety tests pass uh, all the time. So anyway, uh, let's keep going. One more. One more plus one. Who's number three? Oh, uh, this company called Winnow. Winnow. Winnow, who you've probably never heard of, and I hadn't either. They are a small startup that raised seven point two million dollars in funding to help them help commercial kitchens reduce waste. So nice. that's awesome because we need more waste-saving technology, especially as restaurants boom with uh, Seamless and Grubhub and the availability to order food anytime, anywhere from your phone. So, so there you have it. Winnow gets the third plus one, and here's to reducing waste. Nice. So they, what do they do with the waste? I don't know. Okay. It says that its 600-plus clients are saving 4,300 tons of food waste annually through the Winnow system. It looks like they, it looks like they help you plan out what you're going to purchase so that you don't overpurchase and whatnot, amongst well, other things. I couldn't tell. Read up. In this ex- oh, sorry. Uh, in this example, they've got reason for uh, excuse me reason for disposing inventory spoilage. I don't know what they can do with spoiled food. Um, well, if it's past its prime, but it's not totally, you know, bad, you can give it to food kitchens and stuff. Fertilizer? Huh? Fertilizer, what maybe? Fertilizer. Nice. Fertilizer. Very good. All right. I think that's it. Yeah, Tyler? Yeah, they can probably Wonderful. sell it to Taco well, Bell, too. Plus one. All right. Cool. You know, since I redid the sound with the mixer, I actually have a really hard time hearing you when we have this playing behind you. That was a very loud party shuffle you had going. Mm. Well, it's not like Destiny was on deck or anything this time around. <laughs> yeah! Ah, save that Destiny. for the app we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, moving on to our the intestine of our show. No, I guess it's the stomach. We've gone from the head through the neck now to the stomach of our show. The things that we digest so, with our theme music. Would Must that make we us, make that metaphor? Would, would that make us the sandwich? Yeah. Wait. No, we're the body. This is the, the body. Wait. Because the intestines wouldn't the are show what be come the after body? the stomach. Didn't we just go down the esophagus, though? Yeah. So now we're yeah. in the stomach. I'm yeah, pretty sure that, that makes the yeah. show the body. That's what I said. You said we were the body. Well, we are the show. I'm pretty sure Eric's the asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Tyler. <laughs> Thanks. Nice. That was a nice sick burn. Okay, well. Uh, we found out that the Democratic People's Republic of Korea are behind the WannaCry virus. Are they definitely, though, or are they just taking credit? Microsoft is they giving them ISIS. credit. Yeah, we did that. Yeah, we did that, too. You know what? Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, is giving North Korea the win. That is the broriest name ever. Sorry? That is the broriest name ever. Yeah, his, uh, the vice president is... Uh... Damn it, I can't come up with a name. Chad... Chad Beerchuggington? Chad Beerchuggington. There we go. <laughs> Uh, but Brad Smith said all observers in the know now believe that Kim, Kim Jong-un's regime stole the technology needed to create the exploit from the U.S. National Security Agency. Quote, and then he then advocates for a digital Geneva Convention. Quote, we need governments to come together as they did in Geneva in 1949 and adopt a new digital Geneva Convention that makes clear that these cyber attacks against civilians, especially in times of peace, are off-limits and the violation of international law. You think That's going to help. Nope. Does North Korea... Do, wait. Did North Korea sign to the original Geneva Convention? I don't think so. Uh, I forget. I feel like they did, and that's the only reason why they haven't actually. Well, you know who doesn't anything, like, sign, who didn't sign to the Geneva Convention? The U.S. America? Yeah. Yeah. So who, what is he talking about? This guy's... But, no, oh, I can understand, like, if it has the same repercussions, which is a pretty tall order, actually. I think Andre can be like, these are just computer nerds fighting with each other. Who, really, who's going to bomb another country over this? But I see his point. Like, for once, I actually agree with organized government. But, huh. And it does look like they did sign the Geneva Convention. I was wrong. Look at that. Uh, North Korea did in 1957, and South Korea did in 1966. I guess we had to. We made them after we bombed yeah. them. Allegedly. We didn't bomb them. We just had a bunch of guys running around. Oh, conflicts. And, and we had some conflicts guns. in Korea. There we go. Allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> That's ignorant. It's ignorant. The last thing he said is, we repeatedly ask people, we explain to people, we, we virtually plead with people, please don't rely on software that now belongs in a museum. Stop running Windows XP. Ooh, wait, wait, wait. What about, what about our nukes, though? Those run on DOS. Those no have DOS floppy anymore. disks. Actual floppy disks. They don't even have, like, actual floppy. <laughs> they do have floppy disks, but they also have tape disks as, like, their main source of A lot of places. Yeah, floppy was the new technology then. <laughs> well, so tape disk is actually uh, considered one of, the, like, the best long-term storages because you can have your traditional spinning disk eventually be demagnetized. Is the sure, argument. I mean, you could, well, you can demagnetize tape. Yeah, that too, but... 
So tape, it's harder to demagnetize than a spinning disc, though, because a, a spinning disc can actually lose its magnetation over time while you'd have to physically demagnetize tape. That makes sense. And yeah, and, and tapes actually do have a large capacity. I remember when, in the early 2000s when I was in high school and I, the IT people were backing stuff up on tape. And I was like, tape? That's so 80s. And they said, actually, it really works well. Yeah, it is slow. I mean, I know infrastructure companies, large infrastructure companies that we happen to host a certain freelance project on uh, that uh, just use a spinning disk as their uh, cold storage. Uh, that's not good? I mean, it's fine for us. Just they put like billing history on there and stuff. Uh, cold yeah. storage that well, sounds should... like a good metal band name <laughs> that just means like storage that isn't plugged into a computer but yeah yeah but it sounds like a morgue too that well too. speaking of more ransomware uh in our battle with russia we've heard about kaspersky and the nsa and uh it turns out that israel the country of israel ha- uh hacked kaspersky the antivirus company, and then found that Kaspersky had some NSA tools inside of their code repositories. So then the, so then the country of Israel, the state of Israel, notified the NSA. By the way, I, I love the picture in this article. It's uh, the Kaspersky, uh, Kaspersky Labs in Moscow. And I see a dude with the same headphones that I'm wearing currently, except mine are white and his are green. I'm like, this has got to be an interesting company. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Uh, let's see. Uh, last month, the DHS, Department of Homeland Security, in- instructed federal civilian agencies to identify Kaspersky Lab software on their networks and remove it on the grounds that, quote, the risk that the Russian government, whether acting on its own or in collaboration with Kaspersky, could capitalize on access provided by Kaspersky products to compromise federal information and information systems directly implicates U.S. national security. Wasn't Kaspersky antivirus a thing that shipped with, like, Windows by default in the early 2000s? Yeah, and there was a very famous technology personality, not myself, but Joel, you know who he is, Leo Laporte. Oh, yeah. He was a big fan of Kaspersky. And I'd love to see what he has to say about this. I forget, are they the ones or Norton the ones that, uh, like, you do a scan with their own software and it says they are a virus? I feel like that would be Kaspersky. Well, that's honest. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah. Well, and that's that was their argument on this on on Kaspersky's argument for finding this NSA uh, ha- these NSA hacking tools. They said, well, they're technically malware, and our job is to find malware and and archive it, and that's what we did. Yeah, hmm. you need fire to fight fire. Exactly. We absolutely and aggressively detect and clean malware infections, no matter the source. Suggesting that the NSA hacking tools could have been picked up as malware. Uh, in 2015, investigators at the NSA, examining how Russians obtained the material, eventually narrowed their search to an employee, of course, one person, in the agency's Elite Tailored Access Operations Division, which compromises hackers who collect intelligence about foreign targets. This employee was using Kaspersky antivirus software. Hmm. There wasn't any malice, said one person familiar with the case. It's just that he was trying to complete the mission, and he needed the tools to do it. I also love that their uh, chief executive is named Eugene. Why? That's a hilarious well, you're name. You're picking out like, just the randomest, most random details from this article. You want to talk about like some substance here, Christian? Well, it's just I find their antivirus shallow and pedantic. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't recut that bit. I really like watching her box. See? <laughs> that means two things. <laughs> He's Quagmire! All right. Uh, let's see. 
the company said that customer data flowing through Kaspersky's Russian servers are encrypted and that the firm does not decrypt it for the Russian government. Da. And uh, we did, you know, two episodes on Russian hacking earlier. What, yep. what, when, what did we find? Allegedly. Christian? That it's really easy to uh, spoof an IP address. As long really as easy using, to spoof an IP address. As, as long as someone... you're using UDP with, exactly. Ra- with Ross Sockets. So if someone in Langley wanted to spoof uh, a Russian attacker IP address, they could do it. And I think I took the, uh, that Mighty Mighty Boss Tone song off of here. Yeah. Well, why would you that. ever do that? Well, because it's illegal. Well, he had to make room for the Mighty Mighty Ducks. <laughs> no, I had to make room for the, uh... Anyway. Uh, I'm not gonna jump into Larry David. Though there is something about Larry David later on. Anyway. Uh... So, yeah, I don't know exactly if Kaspersky... Are, uh, if they are complicit with the, with the Kremlin. Uh, and I, 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 I don't know. I think that they might have just been caught in this, uh, in this mess where we just don't like Russia because we've been told to not like Russia. Or maybe it's it's like American companies where it's like, for the most part, they were trying to do their thing, but then the NSA was like, uh, yo, you got to do this for us. We're going to be, we should be the only government organization that hacks people. You guys can't. That's illegal. It's against the rules. Yeah, exactly. The, the rules that we just made. Um, moving on. Let's see. So we've got our big exploit of the week. Uh, Christian, you found this one. Yep. An HDD resonance attack. You want to tell us about it? Sure. So uh, the way this is found was actually through a YouTube video. And in that YouTube video, the guy is uh, doing a uh, hard drive perf, so spinning the disk at a very high velocity. And with that, What's the point uh, of doing that? Oh, perf, like performance? Yeah. And uh, with that, though, it will start resonating at a frequency that is audible. And you can match that if you can... Well, not match that frequency, but find the inverse of that frequency and canceling it out. Uh, at least with uh, the Linux kernel, it'll look like that disk is unavailable. Interesting. So if you were, uh, so you could you could basically have a uh, a box that generated sound, and then you could pinpoint whatever frequency it is, and then disable hard drives through through walls. Yes, if you could figure out what that inverse frequency is. Yes. Well, you would just have to do some kind of frequency analysis first. Yep. If you There's made a, a whole that. bunch of little butterflies that were all made out of uh, Raspberry Pis, and they all had little audio listening devices, and then they processed that. Well, the disc would also have to spin uh, fast enough to make the sound. Also that. Yeah. So is this attack only valid if the disc is spinning at a performance speed? Yeah, so if you're trying to attack like a high-volume database server, this would work. There you go. Only when it's being used. Well, I guess high volume, right? Yeah. It's like okay. the brown note, but for discs. Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Pretty much. Basically, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, this is not exactly... It's it's related to, but it's not exactly the same as that uh, shouting in the data center attack that we talked about. Not really an that's attack. That's not really an attack so much as a finding that, uh, again, with high-speed sp- uh, high spinning discs, uh, uh, Brendan Gregg, who is a pretty well-known uh, performance architect... He was. Uh, this was years years ago, actually, in the early two thousands. He was shouting into a disk array, and you would actually see the uh, read speed slow down uh, substantially while he shouted. Gotcha. Uh, let's see. Uh, Joel, you've been rather quiet. You have anything uh, to add? 
Uh, not really. It kind of reminds me of the old days of debug, where you can actually tell the needle to go where it's supposed to, and disable the drives. You can what, still do disc? that. Uh, I thought they patched that. Well, so you can't do that in user space, but you can still do that in kernel space. Ah. Yeah. You can actually just move the needle to a specific position? Yep. Oh, I guess that, that's how uh, Spinrite works, that program that does uh, data recovery and hard drive maintenance. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you could, like... For the for the super hipster, super good computer nerd, like you could make like a vinyl record player out of your whole operating system. I mean, a hard drive basically <laughs> they, is a record player. They do that with floppy drive, uh, floppy drives all the time, like on YouTube, where they have people like. Uh, oh yeah, they have the, the Imperial like March. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, I listen to those things for hours. Yeah, no, it's pretty impressive. Nice, but I'm curious. Uh, so none none of this applies to SSDs, though. Yeah, that exact one. <laughs> uh, apparently I'm getting a call. Uh, beer back. I didn't order any pizza. Oh, maybe it's Darth <laughs> Vader calling. <laughs> no, it's... Christian. Nobody cares about how you rebase. Get... Eric, if I've learned anything from the internet, it's probably two girls that got locked out in the middle of their shower somehow... And they're in towels and they're soaking wet and they need help. <laughs> oh, but you know what? I really forgot to get the, the porno music for this week. What? I'm sorry. There's not enough giggities. There's no porno. What did I sign up for? Whoa. Yeah, you're making our guests feel uncomfortable. Man, se- second time this has happened uh, during recording the show. Wrong apartment. Huh. It's like somebody's cover, dude. Are you letting them in? What? No. Huh. All right, Christian. So, There's a uh, scheme. I didn't order any pizza. Who was it? Who, who was locked out of their uh, bathroom while they were in the shower? This was Where? not that. Uh, this case, it was a delivery guy. Clearly. Why are delivery people delivering? delivering? Oh, like food delivery. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. There's so many more types of delivery you didn't man. ask. Uh, anyway. Yeah, this is like, clearly like a, uh, sorry, wrong apartment. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> man, Ron Jeremy. I wonder how much... What? Do you, hold what on. What is this? Oh. No, the... Uh, <laughs> the porno that you're starring in. This is the weirdest porn music I've ever heard. It is the Ron Jeremy signature unreleased 1970s porno music. Sorry, my microphone moved. Unreleased 1970s porno music featuring Ron Jeremy. Man, that sounds like there's a reason it was unreleased. Anyway, uh, that is very nondescript 70s porno music. That, that doesn't sound like 70s porno music whatsoever. It sounds like the beginning to a really low-budget superhero movie. Like okay, uh, what is well? Oh, anyway, we're getting off off topic. Uh, anyway, we got the resonance attack. Uh, we got all right. Moving on. Uh, it's your favorite part of the day. It is. I had to. I just. I. I got too caught up in Ron Jeremy. It's time. Oh, I know that happens to you often. It really. I, or did he get caught up in you? <laughs> oh. Where's the, uh, crap? Audience, come on. Oh, honey. Oh. Anyway. You want to um, try another one? What? <laughs> you want to try another one? Yeah, try another one. 
Oh, well, I mean, you have to say something for the audience to, re- to react. Just do the quagmire. Anyway, uh, I need to recut that bit. <laughs> Half <laughs> ass in it. All right, anyway. It's time for the wonderful recurring segment of... Come on. Theresa May models the internet. And she's at it again, yet again. The UK government considers classifying Google and Facebook as publishers. It's not actually Miss May herself, but her culture secretary, Miss Karen Bradley... Uh, has said that the government's considering reclassifying those companies as publishers to be able to have a better regulation ability. That makes no sense. Neither of them publish work. Well, Google publishes white papers and so does Facebook. Okay, then they're publishers. End of story. They're they're white papers. They're research papers, though. (laughs) Christian, this is the the government that invented the nanny state. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's It's not even... It's a level above New York. It's England. Isn't JSTOR considered a publisher? Uh, yeah, but, uh, I don't know. That's a good question. They're treated like one because you've got to pay tons of money to have their stuff, which is why one of the most famous programmers are, killed wait, himself. Are they treated like one, or are they just, or... Well, you have to this? pay tons of money to, to have access to it. That doesn't Who's mean this? anything. You have to have pay tons of money to have access to HBO. What company is this? Oh, HBO is a publisher, or are they? $10 a month is different. But. And then it's the same model, Tyler, just a different cost. Well, HBO would be considered a publisher because they're publishing media, but... Uh, JSTOR is an archive of journalistic materials oh, and, huh. and scientific papers, I think. I can see why they would argue that they are publishers, but they're not. If, but, but you know what, yeah. Tyler, if JSTOR are publishers, and I could, I, I could kind of see how the government, the UK government might want Facebook and Google to be classified as such, it's just so they can regulate what they say. Quote, we need to get the balance right so we have a free, vibrant internet that we can harness all the benefits from while protecting the intellectual property that is ultimately what differentiates the United Kingdom from other parts of the world, except for where these effing companies are based, which isn't the United Kingdom, and it's the internet which is available everywhere. So to make the internet more free, we have to make it less free? Right, we have to make it less free for everybody, even though the rules that we make really only apply to the UK, even though these companies don't, aren't even based in the UK. Yeah. She has some kind of brain, because she says we need to be careful here that, not, that what we do is not a sledgehammer to crack a nut. A piece of legislation that we, where we say under UK common law, these platforms are now publishers, which could impact freedom of speech. You think? That's, what, that's the whole thing. It's a whole Megillah. Civil, civil liberties, and the ability of people to enjoy the benefits that the internet brings. But we have to do this in a way that doesn't allow harm. That is BS. And not possible. It's not possible to prevent harm from happening. Also, when people get increasingly sensitive, when you stop harmful things from happening. I got, I got, no, yeah. I get, I get no validation on that remark. Okay, thanks, guys. I said it's not um, possible. You're tra- well, yeah, but you're I mean, tra- the, right. And the, well, it was the people getting more sensitive because the, the, the I, I don't know. I saw, speaking of UK, I saw, uh, you, I can't remember where, somewhere in England, the police posted, have you been the victim of a hate incident? What is a hate incident? A hate incident is a non-crime where you may have been a victim of, vi- of, of hate or bias. Well, if, it, if you're saying it's a non-crime, why do you want to be involved? Well, we want you to report it to us anyway. 
So if a girl doesn't give me her number because she doesn't like the way I look, is that a hate crime? Not yeah, crime? but it's your hate crime with your toxic masculinity. But you know the big, right, the right, best. Right, res- right, it's right. Right, all sex is rape. <laughs> no, 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 no. Tyler, you're wrong. Bad sex is rape. It's bad sex is rape. Not all sex. Come on. I, it's from Portlandia, but it was. Oh. It was really good Wait, satire. Was it Portlandia? I thought it was Family Guy. Where no. like uh, Stewie angered a bunch of feminists, so he was like, "Wait, I just gotta get a chant going. All sex is rape." Oh yeah, it's either that or maybe maybe the. <laughs> okay, hey, how many times do we want it? to say the word rape on our technology show, guys? I don't know. You're hey, the one that's me. making it yeah. bad now. Anyway, hey, you're the Bill Cosby fan here. Whoa! Whoa! I was <laughs> a Bill Cosby fan before the allegations. That elevated quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I still kind of, I mean, I, I, you know, it's hard, it's hard to separate someone from, like Bill Cosby from that because he was a cultural icon. It's for pretty decades. easy, actually. He did a lot of it. No, I mean, but you, but you, everybody, everybody thought of him as a very, as a really good person until two years ago. Not really. Allegedly. Kind of always thought he's weird. Well, that's another story. Anyway. Um... Oh, yeah. Uh, one last thing Miss Bradley said is that she wants to make the UK the safest place to be online, even though you can access anything from the Internet. Uh, How do you make the UK safer to be online than the US? Uh, they're, they're heading into a great firewall of China territory. Yeah. You know, I, I, don't, I hate saying it, but I think uh, Uncle Ronnie was right that when fascism comes to America, it will be under the name of liberalism. These are very liberal people, and they are... Imposing basically fascist tactics on the internet. This is ridiculous. What? Who's liberal? The UK uh, Parliament. Or no, the, the, they're a bunch uh, of the a Prime bunch Minister of and their secretaries. Assholes. No. So yeah. we need a mesh no. network. No more internet. You know, there is some kind of ad hoc well, mesh network it, that's floating internet, around. It, the internet itself is a mesh network in a way. It's the matter of that. One, we have tier threes that just totally ruin what the internet should be. And two, uh, the web is the part that is this way that uh, is centralized. That's true. That's very true, Christian, that the internet is decentralized, but the web is not. Yeah, and then there's tier threes that just ruin everything. What exactly is a tier three versus a tier two? Well, tier two is usually like a telecom company that doesn't actually own any of the cables that are part part of like the uh, actual internet itself. It might have BGP communities within the uh, these uh, the tier one providers, but a tier one provider both has physical cable and BGP communities. A tier three is basically just uh, these people who have like a, a cable, fiber, or telephone lines going from your house to a box that eventually plugs into a backbone. And tier two is like, uh, say, uh, T-Mobile didn't own... Uh, T-Mobile, I think, does actually own tier one network, but if they didn't, uh, then they would have to land... Uh, they would have to, instead of uh, laying their own lines to uh, backbone or internet, they would plug into that and uh, use that, but they wouldn't be selling directly to end consumers for that. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, Optimum... Cablevision, mm-hmm. they're a tier three? Yes. And then they get bandwidth from a tier two. From a or tier one. Tier or one. Two. Or two. Or two. Uh, you hope tier one, but uh, tier two is possible. So, like, level three, they're a tier one? Level three, I believe they are. The one off the top of my head that I know is a tier one is Telstra. 
I haven't heard of them, but that's because they're really down deep in the bowels of the internet. They're coming in. They've got um, they're a tier one through three in Australia. And when I say that they are also a tier three, I mean they are on their own tier one network, but will sell and they sell uh, direct to consumer internet access. Right, but right. through the tier three's uh, traditional architecture, where it is like you plug into the uh, t- uh, tier one as if it wasn't yours. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Well, uh, have you guys heard of the massive new flaw in Wi-Fi? Yeah. I think everyone has. How massive? How massive is it? Oh, no, I took all of that, you know... I had Baby Got Back on here, and I took that back. It's because it's Baby Got Crack. You are so off your sound effects game. I know. I know. I know. I anyway. You know, fine, I'll do it the, for you. Oh, my God, Becky. Look at her butt. Wow. <laughs> Can you do that a little whiter, Christian? <laughs> she looks like one of those rap guys' girlfriends. Go on. Come on. Uh, Christian. Uh, the, the the next part, there's uh, a, a parody that's just totally ruined me, so I can't think which one's the actual one. This is taking too long. There we go. All right. I like big Wi-Fi exploits. That's not... That's how you do it wider, Christian. <laughs> I like you big know. Wi-Fi exploits, and I don't lie. Okay. Uh, developers, developers. I, I have this. I have this impression of Brian Williams from NBC News reading, not re- reading Rapper's Delight, like it's a news report. Ah, uh, that's who you sounded like. Yeah. Got it. A hip hop, a hippie, a dippy to the hip hip hop. You don't stop. Rock it out, baby brother, to the boogity bang bang. A boogie to the boogie to the beat. That would be hilarious. But I was definitely getting more of a, uh, what's his face? Uh, I'm picturing his face. He was the parent the in The subway guy? No, his parent. He Transfer was the parent is available to the. Oh, Gilbert Gottfried. Yes, that is who Eric sounded like to me. Gilbert Gottfried? Yeah. That's a, that's a t- entirely different register, Christian. That's when like, you were doing the, uh, uh, the um, Baby Got Back uh, song. I like no. I was I, I was doing it in my white person voice. Uh, Bill Gilbert Gottfried is like a falsetto. He talks like my grandmother. I'm the best. I, I can't even do it because I'm working that on my voice. You're good. right there. I'm the best. It's, I'm the best Gilbert Gottfried impersonator in Brooklyn. Yeah. It's because you gotta have the bird voice. I'm not doing it that uh, well. Yeah, you had it better the first time when you thought you messed up. That's because I couldn't get into the voice. I couldn't get the grovelly and the high pitched going. It's hard to do. Yeah, no. And that's his real voice. I'm well, sure. we know that's your Halloween costume. Voice, <laughs> Wait, you mean what, what costume? We, we gotta get some red feathers. <laughs> oh, yes. man, I'm gonna be Zazu. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 no, Yago. Yago. And, and Eric, because of the nature of the costume, you should just consent now. Otherwise, we're going to come over and tar and feather you. And you're going to go. <laughs> okay, well. It won't of, be like cruelly hot tar. It'll um, be like the kind you go to a beauty spa for. Yeah. But we're still going to make you go as a parent. Will it make my legs nice and smooth? Yeah. Yeah, when we okay. rip all the feathers off later. Great. <laughs> it, it'll look like you just got a fresh one Brazilian. By one. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, let well. Uh, <laughs> I, I you know I was gonna go as uh, 
Who was I going to go as Halloween for Halloween? I was going to go as Bernie. Ooh. He's the lower register Jewish voice. Because when you have something like Halloween, you have to realize that it is actually quite a problematic holiday. Because it is ableist, it is classist, and it is racist. And there's no way that you can, with a reasonable conscience, sp- celebrate Halloween. So instead you got a Dartmouth sweater and you're going to go as Andy from The Office? <laughs> There we That's, go. He went to Cornell. Oh, shit, Cornell. Rooted yeah. do, do, do. Cornell everything. Let's get you decked out. Rooted do, do, don't. Sorry. <laughs> we really should. <laughs> no. Okay, well, let's get back to crack. What? <laughs> 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 uh, Is that what the homeless guy said outside your subway stop? <laughs> yes. Let's get back to crack. Exactly. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, back to crack. Uh, crack K R A K is perhaps the biggest WPA two that's wireless internet WPA two exploit so far, and WPA two has been around for about ten years, hasn't it? It's been around for a while. Yeah, uh, it's been around for a long time, and this is the biggest crack that's come out. Let's hear it from our news department. Newmonium presents news to you. The internet. People have been using Wi-Fi for years. Nobody has seen quite the exploit like this one. Crack, K-R-A-K, has been used to decrypt traffic from thousands of conceptual users of the Internet. While no proof-of-concept code has been released, there has been a proof-of-concept at least demonstrated at a Black Hat concert... Uh, Black Hat concert? Black Hat <laughs> conference earlier this year. That's all I've got, really. I didn't write anything down. Sounds like Coming a cool to band. a venue near you, Black exactly. Hat. Yeah. Coming in. That's it. That requires different music. I didn't really Rocking write a, all their best hits. I didn't write a piece for this week because it's a Ooh. news. Re, it's a, the whole episode is news. Ooh, we should play. We should do songs that could that a Black Hat developer would do. We, Wait, all right, let's techno? think about that for next week. You mean techno? <laughs> techno. Oh, by the way, I get. That's the, that, no, they got to be song puns, music. though. They got to be well, like, you say something, don't, fear, yeah. don't fear the Reaper. But... Yeah, so it's been around for 13 years. And uh, the big, the, it's the biggest crack uh, that's occurred because it reuses previously allowed uh, decryption keys. Nonsense. Uh, okay, Joel, do you know how Wi-Fi security works? I used to, but I don't remember. All right, Christian, do you know how Wi-Fi security works? Uh, big picture, yes. All right, give us the big picture on WPA. So the way WPA works is you, um, it's kind of just like a handshake, really, that um, through the encryption, well, it will allow you to not be like doing like the, um, what's the right way to put it? The, um, it's similar to HTTPS in that you can't do like a man in the middle between uh, you and the router. Uh, uh, Even though that's what this attack does. Yes, because what it utilizes, though, is cracking the encryption itself because it does allow reusing nonces. So instead of uh, being, okay, I used this one, I can't use it again, it's just like, okay, I can totally use the same thing, so you can eventually crack it. But aren't the, the nonces stored somewhere after they're used so they can't be reused? No, no, they're not. That's the problem. That's the problem. Yeah. That sounds but, like a really big problem. So I think what's important to look at, though, is WEP to understand where this is coming from. Okay, WEP was much less secure. Yeah, that was just basically like a password, and the, it would encrypt based on that. And, and that could really, only be eight digits long, I think? 
13, I think? 13 sounds right. And, yeah, I'm pretty sure 13. Okay. And you could That's brute force it. It wouldn't, like, things that WPA2 added were things like it would just reset uh, your uh, session on that, trying to brute force it every so often. So it looked like, okay, I got to restart over. So, like, uh, I, I don't know, when I was a kid, I'd uh, let my uh, computer run, like, air, air and G or uh, Reaver in the background, uh, trying to hack uh, WP uh, Wi-Fi all the time, just to be like, hey, I can do it. Oh, air and G, and this is crack. Interesting. Yeah, you're cracking a Wi-Fi password. I guess I, never mind. I thought they were related. Like, the same yeah. developer. Like, it's not just a no. lousy pun. Nope. Uh... At its flaw, the found is fa- the flaw is found in the cryptographic nonce, like we said, a randomly generated number that's used only once to prevent replay attacks, in which a, br- a hacker impersonates a user who is legitimately authenticated. In this case, an attacker can trick a victim into in- reinstalling a key that's already in use. Oh, it's in use. Gotcha. Reusing the nonce can allow the adversary to attack the encryption by replaying, decrypting, or forging packets. But isn't there some kind of, like, binding with the MAC address to know that if this nonce is used with this MAC address, then, it, you know, if it's used from another no, MAC address? No, what the nonce is, it's a hash that was generated, so it's like a particular, particular int that's uh, been hashed that's then just appended to your actual encrypted uh, key, which uh, is created when you do this password handshake. And so that way, if you know what the nonce is, and it's reusing this nonce, then you can just look at, okay, what's the actual key? And you can brute force your way from there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, uh, people are saying that the ramifications of this attack are... Hey. Where is it? Oh, it's... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. It's, uh... Never mind. I thought <laughs> it was going to be... Hey. Wow, that's a fail. You, 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 you. Wow, this is a whole lot of... Huge. 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 Trying to get a super... I found this Bernie Sanders saying huge supercut. But it didn't work. I really... I really did a bad job this week on the sound effects. I'm sorry, guys. Last week, we were so good. Okay. Uh, Well, there's some good news with Crack. And that... um, It actually was started by the CIA. No, sorry. Uh, This Wi-Fi exploit is that Microsoft says that they already patched it. So download... Seems like a simple patch. What's the simple patch? So you're not recycling nonsense. If the nonsense is already in use, then is every packet sent with the nonsense in it? Or is no, it just during the handshake? It's just her handshake, this nonce is added. Oh. Gotcha. Well, uh, let's see. They've issued a patch. Um, update, update Windows. They released security updates on October 10th, and customers who have Windows update enabled and applied the security updates are protected automatically. If you're using Linux or Mac OS, good luck. Uh, they patched dirty in uh, Linux. I think Mac OS might have you update to OS X High Sierra in order to get the patch. Oh, probably. Knowing the way that they're operating, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, okay. Moving on. Well, this... Uh... Oh, you know what? About an hour in. Why don't we take a break? Quick break. You think so? Do you want to just... Yes. Okay. 
Let's take a quick break while Christian starts stars in another porno. Side <laughs> friends, do you live in New York City? Well, if you do, Pneumonium has a beautiful new product for you. It's called Where Am I? Your five-borough compass navigator to help you get anywhere from Staten Island to the Bronx. Simply go to www.whereamai.nyc and enable location services on your mobile device to find the closest neighborhood borough in three subway stops to you, wherever you are. No ads, no tracking, just geospatial brilliance. That's Where Am I? from Pneumonium. Pneumonium, reinventing media data. And I actually, because there's no tracking, I'm not entirely sure how many people use Where Am I. But you should! Unless you're in Pittsburgh, like Joel, then it doesn't work. Sorry, Joel. Listen, uh, Pittsburgh's a great place for when all the uh, shit hits the fan. And, you know, when the, when the, bo- when the, when the other shoe drops, and the, and the glaciers melt, and the martial law comes in, go to Pittsburgh. Crap, I just told people my plan. Don't go to Pittsburgh. Go to West Virginia. Yes, definitely hmm. West Virginia. Wait, just to clarify, is it whereamai.com? Whereamai.nyc, because it's for oh, New York City. okay. Because whereamai.com I would not go there. The official website of tourism in Ontario. <laughs> really? They have whereamai.com, not .ca, whatever. Anyway, it's .nyc. I also, by the way, have lungs.nyc. Of course you do. Of course I do. That's right. I wanted to make, uh, just like air, uh, Where Am I finds the closest subway stops to you, I wanted it to be a live air quality monitor based on the spot that you're in right now. And there is actually a web service that has an API for air quality based on geolocation. It's not free. Whoa. What was that? I don't know, but you sound like a robot. How about now? Now you sound okay. Better. Ah, ah, why, why? Robots. Uh, okay. Well, this episode, we're an hour into it, is news. Because whenever we find, we go, uh, we go throughout the week, leading our lives, not really talking to each other that much. Actually, no, we talk to each other. Uh, you know, living our lives, we find these articles, and they pile up, and this week really has a lot of, th- a lot of things to talk about. So let's just talk about what's been going on, rather than any specific timeless topic, as we usually do in our pull requests. Uh, right off the top, I have to say, first story, iOS 11 sucks. It's terrible. It's a piece Why? of garbage. Why? Why? Here are 20 things that suck about the iPhone. Let's give us some music. 20 things that suck about the iPhone. Number one, 3D touch app switching gesture is gone. Back in iOS 10, when you 3D touch the bottom left corner of the display, it would let you switch back quickly and forth between the apps. Number two, App Store wishlist is no more. Nobody used that. Number three, no third-party apps in Control Center. One of the more impressive updates to iOS 11 is the redesigned Control Center, which lets you add extra controls via the Settings app, such as screen recording and notes. However, this is limited to just Apple software. Sounds like they need to be sued by the EU. <laughs> Number four, no quick setting to edit control center tiles. That's right, it comes up with a layout and you're stuck with it. Number five, connectivity controls are confusing now. No, they're not, they just don't actually turn off when you turn them off. Actually, I take that back, it looks like, yeah, 
Yeah, and basically, there's three different modes. There's a Wi-Fi with its blue, Wi-Fi when it's not blue, and then Wi-Fi with a line through it. I don't know what that means. Good job, Apple. Night of Design. Auto brightness setting is buried deeper, number six. Number seven, new notification center needs some work. Notifications will take some getting used to. Why don't? Why does my pull-down notification screen, like the lock screen cover, uh, look like the lock screen cover sheet now? Why do my notifications only partly show up when I swipe down from the top of the lock screen? Why is there no way to dismiss the lock screen cover sheet without pressing the power button? Volume heads-up display is still a problem. When you open the Photos app and play a movie, the volume heads-up display still pops up right in the middle of the video. Number 9, no group chats in FaceTime. Number 10, huge title fonts and apps. At, this design looks like Windows Me. It really does. You should take a look at it. Library, mailboxes, folders, this aerial bold basically looks like Windows Me. 11. Have to jump through hoops to rate songs, still. That's right, Apple, with their $900 million testing lab, haven't decided on the number of clicks that it takes to rate an app. It should be one. Oh, well, I shouted and the music ended. <laughs> Number 12. Can't see song ratings easily. Okay. Number 13. No default way to toggle flashlight off from lock screen. It's not a new issue, but if you accidentally turn it on, you have to jump through some hoops to turn it off. Number 14, deleting mail is still a pain in the ass. Don't use mail, that's the solution. Number five, can't unhide hidden apps anymore. While Apple did a way for this for anyone to hide purchase apps on their iPhone in iOS 11, not just those with family sharing turned on, they also made it impossible to unhide these apps. $900 million testing lab. Number 16, screenshot previews can't be disabled. I guess they have a new screenshotting software and you're stuck with the previews in it in your screenshots, which is interesting. Number 17, night shift is less convenient. I use night shift in every single night on my iPhone because I don't like the way the colors look. Why do they feel the need to hide it behind the brightness slider? Maybe you shouldn't be using it. No. Uh, and why can't I get an individual night shift toggle in the customization options? Who knows? 18. Non-animated GIFs show up in animated album. Number 19. Live fish wallpapers are gone. Nobody cares. Number 20. New media formats don't play nice with other devices. This one, out of all of them, actually seems like something. Apple's new video and image codecs aren't supported on many other platforms. When you share a video file with someone who uses Windows, for instance, they won't be able to see anything. Only the, only the audio will come through. The same goes for HEIF images, which may have a JPEG or PNG extension like usual, but are compressed with a codec that is still highly uncommon. But expect other systems to start adding support for HEVC and HEIF soon, so hopefully your images will be shareable again. And that's it. I do like that music. But why male models? Why male models? You don't get the reference. No. no. Okay, never mind. Was it from? Zoolander. Anyway, what do you guys think about iOS 11? I'm sure. I think all three of you are Android users. Yep. I yeah. Have it on my iPad. I yeah, kind of stupid that this problem. is a problem. Oh, you have it on your iPad. You haven't had any problems with it. Nope. Yeah, I also have an iPad with it, and it's okay. Yeah. Well, I have an iPad with it, and it disabled. Huh. It literally just turned off, and when I hit the home button, oh, it said, "Oh, don't you the big fancy iPad?" It doesn't matter. 
No, the, the, the Series U Rave is blowing that kind of money. It wasn't that much more expensive than the regular iPad A. The only I difference... Have, you know, I have the original iPad Mini, and it's still running just fine since 2011. That's not, what, what happened is the opposite of what's supposed to happen. iOS 11 is supposed to mess up your iPad Mini, and it's supposed to run beautifully on my brand new iPad, and it's not doing that. My, my iPad Mini is also overclocked. <laughs> How do you overclock an, an iPad Mini? It's jailbreak uh, it? Jailbreak, yeah. How, what's it overclocked to? Uh, I only put like 0.1 additional gigahertz, so I think it's like a 1.2 stock 100 gigahertz. extra megahertz? Holy crap. That must be blazing. Not really. Yeah, I know, because it's 100 megahertz. Anyway. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, as I close some tabs. Uh, let's see. Is the age of the startup over? Christian? Uh, personally, not really. It's just okay. the age of... Tyler, age of do you stu- think the age of the startup Whoa. is over? With a caveat, the okay. age of stupid startups is over. All right, well, we don't want to hear your ableist slurs, Christian. Why are, are these startups well, stupid? Well, to, uh, to rebuttal Christian's point, uh, last week's plus one was to uh, Magic Leap for getting $1 billion without a product, so... And then we talked about this. We're and we, hey, we talked about the out. startups that raise $150 million in 30 seconds with cryptocurrency without a product. This yeah. Is true. So we're clearly not out of the age of startups, and we're clearly not out of the age of stupid startups. <laughs> this is true. Okay, Joel, what do you have to say? I say no. No what? They're not, we're not, at the age of the, we're not at the, out of the age of startups yet. How about the age of stupid startups? Those will always be around. There's always a sucker who's willing to spend their money. That's Ponzi true, schemes. like all those Whopper coin I bought. <laughs> oh, you got Whopper coin without me? Yeah, man. I'm sorry, Tyler. I, I was I was at this Russian Burger King, and I said, when in Russia. I was going to say, do they, do they now uh, give a free Whopper with your uh, mail-order wives there? <laughs> exactly. But only if you spend at least 300 rubles. Yeah, and you have to drink two mm-hmm. Red Bulls a day. Yes. <laughs> well, let me make this argument for you. From a Univision company called TechCrunch. Hordes of engineering and business graduates secretly dream of building the new Facebook, the new Uber, the new Airbnb. Almost every big city now boasts one or more startup accelerators modeled after, after Paul Graham's now legendary Y Combinator. Throngs of technology entrepreneurs are reshaping, disrupting every aspect of our economy. Today's big businesses are arthritic dinosaurs soon devoured by these nimble, fast-growing mammals with sharp teeth. Right? Maybe not. The web boom of 1997 through 2006 brought us Amazon, Facebook, Google, Salesforce, Airbnb, etc. Because the internet was a new thing, this type of disruptive innovation really did disrupt at the time. The smartphone boom over the last 10 years did something similar, and it brought us Uber, Lyft, Snap, WhatsApp, Instagram, Twitter, etc., because the same was true of smartphone apps. The way that the internet disrupted the real world, the smartphone disrupted desktop internet. But do we think that, can this, rather, momentum continue? I'm not sure. Uh, Seed funding is down in 2017. And it's no coincidence that Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Microsoft have grown from the five big tech companies to the five most valuable public companies in the world. It's already widely accepted that the next wave of important technologies consists of AI, drones, AR, VR, cryptocurrencies, self-driving cars, and the Internet of Things. And I think we've talked about almost all of them on our show. Self-driving cars. No, we did that this week. 
Drones? Do we talk about drones? A little bit. Do we talk about AI? Anyway. Ted. These technologies are collectively hugely important and consequential, but they are not remotely as accessible to startup disruption as the web and smartphones were. So where does all this leave tech startups? Struggling and probably hoping to be acquired by a larger company, ideally one of the big five. While some breakout startups will still doubtlessly rise, they'll be far rarer than they were during the boom years. I mean, a rebuttal to this is look at MongoDB's IPO, one of the best tech company IPOs in history. And? Well, they started as a startup, and a lot of people say that, oh, startups aren't successful when, they start? when it comes to this make or break they're, point. They're inside of the bubble, Christian. We're talking about if you started a startup now, right. the party's over. I've, so I've heard, I've heard this argument also with, like, look at like how, oh, uh, Snapchat ipo and did awful, uh, Twitter ipo and did awful, but then you got MongoDB IPO'd, are- and I know for a fact MongoDB's product sucks. And they still did one of the best IPOs of all tech companies. Would you change that tune if they wanted to take out an ad on our show? Yeah. I'd also want them to Clock's fix a ticking. bunch of things. Like I, I'd, like to, I'd like to air my grievances to them and see what they answer. They're going to say, well, there's millions of other podcasts. Um, <clears throat> anyway. Well, no, I, I'm I, just going to point out that they have t- uh, technical issues, including their implementation of Raft being wrong. Oh, right. Well, you did talk to them at, at, at that conference. Yeah, and they got really defensive. <laughs> right. So it doesn't sound like they'll be taking an ad out on us anytime soon. Wonderful. Well, uh, <laughs> we all work to hurt the show. Uh, let's see. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, tech workers worry about age discrimination at 40. Really? You know, as someone who turned 30 this year, I've been 30 for almost six months, I've been 30 for five months, almost five months, uh, that I really believe, I really believe ageism exists in technology and it's worse than any other industry. I mean, and, what, I, what I'll say to this, bulk of my management team is over 40 uh, at right I, work. I uh, think my, that... My dad's in the space and he's uh, in his uh, mid-50s to late-50s. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Uh, how much more, you don't have to give me an amount, relatively ballpark, how much more does your dad cost than a 25-year-old person who will work for Peanuts to do the same job? Yeah, about the same uh, price tag. Well, then that's that's possibly why he's still there, but if he got laid off for whatever reason, would it be easy for him to find a new job? Uh, not particularly, well, so that, it's all very situational. There are companies that will hire people who are older because they believe they're, they're, they're more senior. Well, it's and also I, because I definitely they... see that, I see that in the more hardcore tech space a lot, where, like, you are dealing with actual sciences. They will hire the older person as opposed to the person who's like, hey, I just got my undergraduate's degree and have no proof of knowing anything. Sure. But, like, for what we do, I mean, the thing is, is, is Google and these big companies are already colluding with academia to create pre-trained workers as soon as they graduate from college. That's so, not true. Google so, complains that undergraduates do, do not cut it. Sorry? Uh, Google, while they do hire... Does the, Google complain that the undergraduates from Georgia Tech and Carnegie Mellon are inadequate? No, I don't Carnegie think they, Mellon and... Okay, those are two who are actually... Their schools work really well. Yes, there are schools and that Google do not has work big outlets in both of those schools, and yes, that's my point. Okay. Yes, particularly Carnegie Mellon does a lot of real-world things, but you look at a traditional computer science per, uh, program at some of these schools, and you're like, that's cool. Uh, talk to Alan Turing. Maybe he's hiring. 
Funny. Uh, Joel, have you experienced... You're, you're, I, I'm not going to say how old you are, but you are actually the oldest person here. Have you experienced any sort of ageism? Not yet. I'll let you know in about six months. <laughs> <laughs> what happens in six months? I'll be 40. Oh, my God. Wow. Come on. Interesting. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, I, I don't know. I, you know, when I was, when I was uh, looking for gigs and someone said, you know, there are worse job markets to be looking for gigs, uh, I would say, I said, yeah, me in 10 years. Because I really believe, as a developer, that your hot time is from when you're 25 to 35. And once you get closer to 40, you either got to get into management or, you're got, or you have to be happy making less. Well, you could also go into the more hardcore route where you're either in like research or you are known to be like an expert in a particular area. That's true, but that there are millions of people. I mean, how are you going to you know, yeah. you're compete the, the the market for you, for you it's, for you and the demand for you is getting significantly smaller it, every day you turn older. Right, which is called social darwinism. And that's uh, just part of capitalism. Well, social Darwinism where, kind of connotes that it's a good thing, but it's not. It doesn't uh, connote that it's necessarily a good thing. It, it connotes that you have to keep up with these uh, uh, hurdles instead of complaining about them. Well, no, so, no, right, no, that's instead completely of, instead different. Instead of saying, like, hey, things are ageist, it's like, make an argument of why you need to stay on. If you're an expert in, say, uh, like, uh, data storage algorithms, that is a perfect reason to be kept employed. Right, but if, my question is this. Someone who is 50 is going to want the good health insurance. They're going to want the retirement package. They might want the stock options. They might want the a lot of the stuff that some, the person who's 25 is going to care about. And they're going to ask, and the person who's 50 who has a family or possibly kids in college or whatever is going to ask for more cash too. So the, I've the not foot- really seen that, to be honest. Sorry? And I've not seen that, to be honest. And okay. I've worked at plenty of companies where the ages span anything from like uh, 24 to like uh, uh early 50s okay all right i work at a place uh that has a lot of people between the ages of 30 and 40 and the people who are over 40 i think are, are in management or running things and uh i don't know would you be comfortable making excuse me would you be comfortable making the same amount of money that you are now in 20 years yeah even though uh inflation has significantly diluted the value of that money well, okay, so that's a caveat that I feel uh, companies, at least in tech, do keep up with. Okay, so you're so you're kind of bearish on this ageism. You don't think that it's that big of a problem. I think it is a problem, and it's there. But I think there's, it's also certain companies where it's not there. It's all company so it's culture. companies and not the industry, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's. I could see that. I could see that. I think the problem is it's it's it goes back to like our materialist uh, fascination with new things, and that we want someone who's new versus someone that's older but is wiser. And we want someone. I mean, like I have so much more wisdom because I started making websites with Angel Fire and Tripod, and and now I'm making websites in React. And I've been around for the whole journey. And when you were talking about rolling with the changes versus complaining about them, I was one of those people. Speaking of two years ago. I was one of those people two years ago, Christian. I literally told you that's not how you make a website. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I realized I was on the wrong side of history. <laughs> so, right? You remember that. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> and then it's been a really long battle to get me to go into the modern world of web design. But I've embraced it because there's no jobs for coal miners in West Virginia. <laughs> and as someone who's driving distance away from West Virginia, Joel, nice. I think you can confirm this. 
I stay out of West Virginia. Sorry? I stay out of West Virginia. Oh, you stay out of Don't you want uh, half-price cigarettes? Nope. Uh, oh, racism. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, anyway, moving on. Uh, let's talk about Microsoft's multi-threaded JavaScript runtime. Yeah. Napa.js. Is this what happens when Microsoft developers drink wine? <laughs> it's, when any develop- it's when any developer who knows how to write C++ and understands JavaScript runtime drinks anything. Why don't you give us the lowdown? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Hold on. I, before you go into that, I've heard people, because we've been so privileged to work in technology that has like an alcohol culture where it's okay to drink at work, I hear people talking about drinking at work like it's a felony. And like, and she was drinking at work. And I'm like, that's bad. <laughs> and they're like, well, yeah. And I'm like, but the but WeWork actually has a keg in it on every floor. And you can just get beer whenever you want. Like, I don't know. I understand if you're working at retail or in a hospital or something like that. It's different. But uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, we uh, have I, a... I feel like there's issues when it's a hospital. Oh, absolutely. I mean, listen, I used to work in a nursing home because I'm from Palm Beach. And uh, I had to get hair tested in order to work there. <laughs> And, 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 and I passed, but now you might be able to smoke my hair. Anyway, <clears throat> very explicit episode this week. Uh, so Navajs multi-threaded JavaScript runtime, uh, mm-hmm. built on V8, which is good. It's not built on whatever bullshit Microsoft uh, JavaScript engine they have. Actually, what's interesting, though, is with Chakra, which was theirs, they argued it was faster. Well, of course they will. But they're at least using V8 for this, which I think I can support. Mm-hmm. Uh, npm install Napa JS. What I mean, Microsoft is playing ball with everybody. Yeah, no, they are they are on it with the open source lately. What did they? Didn't they do something? I forgot to add it to the show. Didn't they uh, join something? Oh, yeah, they, uh, the Mozilla um, Foundation web documentation. Yep. That, that, that's a nice one. That um, is nice because what happened 10 years ago, Microsoft had their own version of what HTML should be. Mm-hmm. And that's the version that worked perfectly in Internet Explorer. And then the rest of the world had to do their own thing. So, kind of like how America uses measurement systems and then the rest of the world has to do their own thing. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. All right. But anyway, so Napa, it's interesting because it gives you this thing called the zone, which is uh, has a one-to-one mapping with an OS thread. And then... They do something similar to how, like, Go has channels where they have this thing called the transport, and the idea there is you can just pass data back and forth between the two. And uh, so a little background, too, is there is a proposal for an actual thread object natively supported across all uh, JavaScript runtimes that does not look like this whatsoever. and, And you have to use the shared array buffer as the only way to communicate between the two. With Napa or with the other? Uh... With, with, with the other. But, well, is that so this... because they're trying to use existing JavaScript tools to build this kind of multi-threaded environment Correct. when you might, might need new architecture? Correct. Oh. And, and uh, have you evaluated Napa? Have you looked I have at the not. I have not actually used it. There is also ways to uh, just uh, use this thing called the store, which is kind of like a traditional like Nudex wrap thing to just pa- uh, pass around without explicitly passing it. You just kind of share the memory. Gotcha. And there's other ways to uh, just hand, get get low level to it, and like they have a built-in metrics and uh, built-in like le- leveled logging into Napa, so it's pretty well thought out. It looks a lot like they're like taking ideas from like uh, GoLang on the transport, and uh, just otherwise looking at like um maybe some like more actor concurrency pattern things for the idea of this uh, zone. But it's pretty cool because like you can say like. 
this particular zone has n threads, and like in that zone, execute this thing, and that way it's just like four threads that are doing the uh, uh, par- parallel execution. So it's like managing threads as if they were a network of computers. Yeah, you can look at it that way. Zone one dot broadcast. It looks like they're evaling some code in here. Zone one dot broadcast console log hello world. That doesn't look safe. Talk yeah. about arbitrary script execution. Well, so the way, the way that uh, V8 works, it's going to have to be a different uh, uh, instance of the interpreter per thread. So it kind of makes sense, actually, that you're saying in zone one. So basically you're saying in all threads. So, okay, I see what this is. The workers is actually a thread pool, and the zone is a pool of threads. So uh, with the broadcast, you're saying in all threads, execute uh, uh, that... Uh, hello world and the way v8 works is that uh being that each thread has to have a particular instance of the interpreter you can actually send that string and that's the the way to work uh, work with that while if you're saying like the the execute below just says pick a thread and execute it you can just pass that as hey here's this uh uh, bytecode function executed in a thread gotcha it's pretty cool um but i would want their apology for having used eval in their code it's not that they're really using eval there. It's just well, so how much you, as... How else do you that, execute an arbitrary line of JavaScript code? You pass well, that's in because that, that, that's how uh, V8 works, is it has to be an interpreter per thread. Okay. Uh, so in order for this to make its way into browsers... I mean, this is really for server-side stuff, right? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. But it would be useful to have multi-threaded JavaScript in browsers, but then they would have to. You would need new builds and new and, and new builds of V8, basically. It would be really dangerous to just be able to create threads arbitrarily on the clients. Mmm, because you could have like a Bitcoin miner running in the background. Well, more so than that, website. you just have a thread bomb and just say while true thread, thread bomb. <laughs> no, it's I know, an actual attack. It I know, yeah. I know. This is funny. Um. Okay. Cool. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Uh. Nude is a next-generation photo vault that uses AI to hide your sensitive photos. You I, find- I, I love that they just went straight for the kill on the name here. Yeah. I mean, and they have it, and the app is nude coloring. Very interesting. Um, uh, uh, but uh, <laughs> It makes so much sense when you see who it's from. 21-year-old entrepreneurs from UC Berkeley. <laughs> it's uh, like, ah, oh, it all makes sense You now. know what? If that is, if they are from UC Berkeley, I'd like to see what they're doing with their gender options. Um, that's well, not so even a joke. It's actually true. Um, uh, Jessica Ch- uh, Chu and YC Chen are the creators. Do you know them? No, it's just... Uh, I, f- I feel like we were all making an assumption as to gender of the creators. No, I said that I said that they're gender settings, like oh. when you can select your gender. Okay. Because you know, in user interface, we actually and this is where user interface uh. bumps up against politics. We have this issue where most websites have a binary selection for genders. I wouldn't call that politics so much as social issues, but sure. How many genders would you like to place in your dropdown, Christian? That's Three. politics. That's my point. Anyway, that, that, that's a social issue. That, that that in no way feeds into politics. Really, you should look mm-hmm. at what people from UC Berkeley are doing right now. There's definitely meddling. Uh, um, um, mixing. Now, I feel like that. I feel like this particular app happens to be agnostic to gender, which is totally fine. 
That's true. That's why I said I'd like to see their gender options. I want to see what they do. If they don't ask it, then that's fine. If they have a million different choices, that's fine. If they have you draw a picture of it, that's also fine. I just want to know what they do. <laughs> Wait, draw a picture of it? I'm not going it? to. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to make judgment or opinion on people's gender expression. I will not do that. But I want to know how they've implemented people's gender expression in this you app. You can just make it agnostic. You don't have to know gender in this. Yeah, probably. So what happens is these people uh, were sexting a lot, and they didn't want people when they're like, oh, can you, here, take, take a look at this picture on my phone, and then you swipe left accidentally, and holy crap, what were you doing? <laughs> I, oh, man, I, I had a dollar every time. <laughs> exactly. So now you can store your images in, in nude. And uh, it, when nude finds what it believes to be nude photos, it moves them to a private pin-protected vault inside the app. Chew, uh, Chew said nude would monitor your camera roll in the background. In my experience, it's, simp- it's more reliable to simply open no- uh, node, nude, which triggers a scan. Hmm. And then what's going to... Yeah, I, I, I'd love to see the disclaimer that they have. If we don't find everything, don't sue us. Uh... So they, oh, look at this. Uh, Chu and Chen attempted to use existing open source data sets to detect nudes, but they found that the results were often inaccurate, especially for people of color. So they built software to scrape sites like Pornhub, that must have been fun, for representative, representative images, eventually at amassing a collection of more than 30 million images, and that's what they used to see their database. Cool. Uh... Let's see, moving on. Google Play adds a new bug bounty program for mobile apps. Tyler, you've got this one. Yeah, it's uh, nothing too crazy. It just looks like a handful of mobile apps, uh, including Alibaba, Dropbox, Duolingo, Headspace. A lot of the big ones, Line, um, they're all, they just got a bug bounty program for the mobile app. So if you're certified and you can handle it, um, go check out Google. I think I saw $1,000, which isn't a ton. It's not a ton, but it's something. Uh, how long does the program run? Does not say. It says that they'll just continue adding more apps as it comes on. Cool. Yeah, so if you want to make a grand. Yeah, basically. And, and Google is sponsoring this for third-party apps, apps they don't even own. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, according to HackerOne, hackers will identify app vulnerabilities and report it to the developer and both work out a resolution within 90 days. The hacker then requests a reward from the program. Once it's evaluated and are found to meet Google's criteria, the finder will be awarded $1,000. Yay. Cool. Yeah. Christian, you could find some good bugs. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Well, <clears throat> now, for the re- now for the fun stuff. High levels of lead found in Alex Jones' InfoWars supplements. That can be said about most supplements, though. Oh, well, then I guess we don't need to read this. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, besides the Neanderthal pre-human drink powder. I'm not kidding. You can't make this up. Alex Jones sells the most ridiculous stuff, and people buy it. Along with the stuff that it comes out of his mouth. Talk about ridiculous stuff he sells. People are buying that left t- and right. Have you seen the time he took a sip on air? Of what? He, uh, uh, the Superman oh, vitality? Yeah, and it, it looked and like he was fighting shirt. to hold it down. Oh. Fight mill. Yeah. 
Live, live <laughs> testimonials might not be a good idea for his products. Uh, Harness the fighting power of the crow. <laughs> anyway, besides this, uh, besides this Neanderthal pre-human drink powder, another supplement called Myco ZX advertises potent herbs and enzymes, not pot, intended for the detoxification of yeast in undesirable fungal organisms, also determined to have high levels of lead, according to independent testing. Sweet. Uh, people who take the Myco ZX product would ingest more than six times the daily limit of lead under California law. Wow. California. <laughs> oh, man, I think I took that off, too. It's the it's the royalty music, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, caveman True Paleo, according to Jones on air, can relieve muscle soreness, improve bone strength, and doesn't have additives, he says. Yeah. I got that bone strength. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, And the last story for the evening... Somebody who's near and dear to our hearts. Maybe I can go as him instead of Bernie for Halloween. It's, of course, Larry David has racist relatives. Larry David went on a PBS show called Finding Your Roots, and he found that his family ancestors owned slaves. I had always thought that Jews were immune from this kind of white person problem white people owning slaves yeah i'm dying to know what kind of uh but like farm or well here's what happened they said uh nearly all of larry david's paternal relatives came from hesed darmestad once an independent state within what is now modern day germany almost all of these ancestors settled in new york where david was born in 1947 with one major exception his great-grandmother, Henrietta, was born in Mobile, Alabama. What? David says over and over. I'm a little more exotic than I thought I was. Is Alabama exotic? I, I don't know. Is Germany? Germany's exotic? I probably got some of the most racist places in the world connected. <laughs> Even That's more shocking fair. was the fact that Henrietta's father, David's great-great-grandfather, Henry Bernstein, was, was one of about 3,000 Jewish men to fight on the side of the Confederacy. That number is way larger than I expected. That is m- way larger than I expected a zero. <laughs> Are you telling me that my great-great-grandfather fought for the South in the Civil War? What? Are you kidding? <laughs> Basically, that's going to be him for half an hour. You should watch the show. Finding Your Roots on PBS. I love that this article's on LinkedIn, by the way. Yeah, I, I <laughs> by Lee Bla- Bailey, a uh, African American person. Interesting. Anyway, that's I, I. I could just let this music play out. Really, that's all. I, this music says everything I need to say about this article. <laughs> all right. Um. Yeah, that that was really. I mean, that was mind boggling for me. Like I said, I always thought the Jews were on the right side of this stuff because what Jews were in America during the Civil War, but apparently Larry David's relatives were. <clears throat> it's uh, like it's like that Thirty Rock episode portion. where uh, uh, what's his face, where Tufer uh, has this picture of his grandfather, his great grandfather, <laughs> oh yeah, in his office, and then Judah Friedlander says, "Oh no, it's actually he's fighting for the Confederacy." 
It's like, no, this is he's fighting for the General Grant. He's fighting for the Union. It's like, no, that's Robert E. Lee. He's fighting for the Confederacy. I feel the same way. What the well, hell is, is Henry is Burns? It, sorry? Sorry, I think you're going to talk about uh, one where he has a DNA test with... Uh, uh, no, it's Tracy Morgan against uh, the guy... The, the, the skinny no. guy who... No, Yeah. Sorry. And, and, and I'm uh, blanking on the name. <laughs> the yeah. not Kenneth White guy. The not Kenneth White guy. Who is also not Jack Donaghy? Pete. Pete. Uh, no, not Pete. Scott, uh, uh, young guy. Young guy. Oh, we blew there's, it. There are a couple of them. Anyway, we're getting off track. Uh, I mean, off track. But this is the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> we could keep talking, or we could put on. I wonder what Larry David's personal friend <laughs> has to think about. Uh, anyway, so you ever notice when you have a friend who had no idea about his relatives? And it turns out they're super racist. It's not that they're super racist, it's that they literally own slaves. Joel, how does this make you feel? A beloved American cultural icon, his family owns slaves? Well, it happens. That's why I don't look in the past. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I, I mean, like I said, I didn't think that any Jews were involved in that disaster, but I was wrong. The more you know. Anyway. Yeah, Eric, you might want to take a look. Well, I do know that I have the same name as one of Hitler's henchmen who authored his five-year plan, Erich Neumann. Huh. Oh, that is, that is unfortunate. I, I found that out in a Holocaust museum in Israel. Oh, that is really unfortunate. <laughs> hey, my name's up there. Wait, that's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, because the audience didn't laugh at my joke, maybe they can... Something else, I don't know. Bad, bad with the sound effects this week. Well, anyway, on that bombshell, I think it's time to end. So, Christian, do you approve of this week's poll request? Looks good to me. Tyler, how about you? Definitely. Joel, our newcomer for this week? Looks good. Well, then let's ask our studio audience. Hello, everybody. Are you? Do you approve of this week's poll request? <laughs> Great. Well, then That's let's all about. hit merge. <laughs> and we'll see you next week right here on Power Quest. This has been a Pneumonium production. The views and opinions expressed on Pull Request do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium LLC or its subsidiaries. This week's theme music provided by Volpec. Visit them at V-U-L-F-P-E-C-K dot com.